So if you live in America, you know that, uh, there's peop- that there are people who like to flaunt their wealth. You might have ever seen people that like to flaunt their wealth. Maybe even on, so- on, s- on social media, they like to, to like to let everyone see what it is that they've been blessed with. And there was a show, I'm not really sure exactly when it started, but who's ever heard of the show Cribs? MTV started the show called Cribs. They actually changed what we call our house. It used to never be called a crib. It used to be called a house or a home. But now somebody will say, hey, why don't you come check out my crib? You know, and that's very normal lingo now. Is that what you call your house? You never called, you never called it crib. I mean, Reagan sleeps in a crib. Reagan last night, three years old, we put her in timeout in her crib, her actual crib, and she's in timeout. And we're sitting in the living room with my mom and her husband, and, and here comes Reagan in the living room, and Estelle looks at me, who got her out? I didn't. She learned how to crawl out of her crib. It's amazing. Just a little sidebar there. But cribs, cribs. And so I, I wanted to share some pictures of, of just some people that like to flaunt their wealth. And so we have, look, look, isn't that amazing? Look at that house. Oh, I would love to have that set up, wouldn't you? A nice waterfall cascading off the rocks into the beautiful crystal blue water. Look how, can you imagine the barbecues back there? Cooking the, fl- cooking the steaks, flipping the burgers, your kids are swimming. You guys are really jealous right now, aren't you? Who has that? That's amazing. Let's look at the next picture. Let's see here. Look at, look at all the vehicles. Doesn't Jay Leno have a garage like that? He's got like rows and rows of vehicles. Just look at, I think there's a Mercedes in there. There's a Porsche, a couple of Porsches. I don't know what that old car is. Probably worth a lot of money. Let's go to the next picture. Let's see what else we can look at here. I don't even know where this is. This is just a, is that an elevator? I, I, I didn't pick these pictures. Chuck, Chuck did. Uh, look at this. I think that's an elevator. That is amazing. And then here's the next one. This is going to be funny here. Look at the shoes in the closet. I mean, my goodness. How many? There's, I think the bottom row is full of boots. That's all a bunch of boots, and then it goes up to all the different shoes and the high heels and the flats. Oh, the, the men aren't left out of this. It, that's like all Michael Jordan shoes or something. That is amazing. God is so good, right, Pastor Freddie? So th- this is very common for, for people in our culture. I think that's the last picture. To flaunt their wealth, to let people know what it is that they have. I mean, what, what would you do with all of those shoes? You'd wear them? I mean, that's enough shoes for every single day of the year. And so when we look at our culture and we see that, it is difficult for us to not get jealous. It's difficult for us to be content with what we have. It's challenging for us to not be people full of covetousness because we look at what they have and we see what we don't have, and all of a sudden we're struggling with that. And so we want to cover the subject of overcoming greed and materialism. And if you think, well, I don't struggle with greed, that's really not a problem that I have, I just want you to know that I think we all struggle with it at different levels, at different times. And I just want to say that it's something that you're not going to whip and then all of a sudden never have to deal with for the rest of your life. There's always going to be opportunities for you to look at what somebody else has and be jealous and wish that you had that and be discontent with what you do have. And so this is just not, this issue of greed is not something that is just 
current. It's just something that modern people deal with. Back in the Bible days, there were greedy people who wanted lots of money and wanted to be wealthy and would take advantage of people to be wealthy. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy 6. And in 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul is giving a letter, writing a letter to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's specifically trying to encourage him to persevere, to stand for the gospel, to not give up. And he, and he deals specifically in chapter 6 with, the, with this issue of greed. And this is, in chapter 6, is the famous verse. Everyone knows it. For money is the root of all kind of evil. Is that, is, is that how it's quoted? <laughs> For the love of money is the, roots of all, is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's the famous verse, and everyone keys in on that. But the, the context of that, of what Paul is saying, is that there was false teachers in that day who were greedy for money. And if we look at verse 5 in chapter 6, Paul, he describes these people. He says that they are people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So you had false teachers, people claiming, men claiming to be men of God, who were taking advantage of people and, and, and trying to use godly things as a means to get rich. So Paul is warning Timothy, watch out for false teachers that are like that. So I'm going to warn you this morning, watch out for false teachers that are after your money. And they'll come on at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when you have insomnia and you're up late at night and you're flipping the channels. And they might come on there and try to sell you holy water that's been blessed. That if you would take this holy water and you will drink it, that... You'll get out of debt, and, and you'll be blessed with money, or you'll, you'll be blessed with physical healing. just want you to know that is not biblical. That is not godly. And Paul is, is addressing that in 1 Timothy 6. You know, I've watched this video of, of, of this brother in preparation for this message, and I considered showing a couple of things from him, but I, de- I decided not to. I'm just going to explain it to you. And he, he literally tells people that if they will send in their money, he will send them this fresh spring water. It's in a little packet. Maybe some of you have had it. Maybe he sent it to you. And it's about this big. And, and he actually put testimonies on there of people saying that they drunk the water and that they got thousands of dollars that came in. Once you know that's not true. That's a bunch of baloney. And that man and other men like him, they try to use the gospel message as a means to get rich. Paul's warning Timothy, watch out for them. And I'm telling you, watch out for them. But then Paul switches the subject. And then he starts on this. And he tells Paul, uh, uh, Timothy, in verse 11, he says this, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, this is, these are these false teachers. They're trying to get rich off of godly things. And I'm telling you, you don't have anything to do with them. And you flee those things. You watch out for that trap. And so I, I, I believe that the same warning that Timothy was given from Paul is for us as well, is that we need to watch out for false teachers, but that we also need to flee from the temptation to be materialistic, to be greedy, to be covetous, because it's hard in this culture. It's hard because we see things that we don't have, and we compare, and we look at what we wish we could have, and all of a sudden, we're not content anymore, and it will drive us to to do things that we would have never imagined that we would do. And so I I just want to read in 1 Timothy 6, we're going to read Verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to look at four things from this text that, 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 that remind us or show us how to overcome greed. So let's read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, But godliness 
with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Very, very powerful, strong warning there for us. And so we're going to look at four ways in which we can overcome greed in our lives. And the first one is this. Mute the commercials. Mute the commercials. And that's what Paul is saying there. You you really didn't see it in the text, but that's what he's saying there in in verses 6 through 8. He says, but godliness with contentment, say that word with me, say contentment. Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. You came into the world naked with nothing but, uh, but tears and cries. You brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. When you die, who's going to take your stuff? The government and your family. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying to mute the commercials. Now, there's a little reason, there's another reason why I made my first point, mute the commercials. It's because my wife and I, uh, we have three children, and she's pregnant for our fourth, and we're excited about that. But our oldest child, his name is Joel, he is 11 years old now. When he was four years old, uh, he one day went into the kitchen, and he opened the refrigerator. And this is not exaggeration, my wife is here to verify this. He opens the refrigerator, he looks in there, and he says, Mommy! Can you give me some, uh, mommy, I want some Buzz Light. (laughs) And Estelle said, Buzz Light, what are you asking for? What do you want? And he said, you know, mommy, like the people on TV drink. And at that moment, it was a revelation. It was an epiphany for my wife. And she realized we have to mute these commercials. And so when my wife passes on to be with the Lord, We are probably going to put on her tombstone, among other things we put on there, mute the commercials. It is this incessant cry. We can hear it from across the house in the the bedroom. Mute the commercials. Her dad gets frustrated when she goes over there and and he's watching TV because she'll yell at, mute the commercials. She has this drive. But but it's just a valid point there. Because here's here's what happens. When we are advertised to, when when we are constantly... When things are paraded in front of our eyes and, 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 and things that we listen to and, and they're, they're, they're telling us that we should have different things and new things and that we should want to have a bigger house, a newer house, a better car, a newer car, a newer phone, a better phone, then, then what begins to happen? You begin to compare what you have with what you don't have. And that house you live in and the car that you drive, if it runs, the cell phone that you have, the clothes that you wear, the shoes that you have, they're good enough, aren't they, right? They're doing their intended purpose, which is to get you from point A to point B, which is to help you to make a phone call, which is so, you know, when you walk with your shoes, you don't mess up your feet. They're practical, and they're good, and, they're, and, and they're, they are fulfilling their intended purpose. But all of a sudden, you're going to see that new iPhone 8 or that iPhone 10 that's coming out, that can recognize your face. You guys saw that? 
The iPhone 10 can actually scan your face and unlock the phone. Pretty scary. Um, but anyway, you see what you don't have, and you look at what you do have, and all of a sudden, you're discontent. And that starts with comparison. So that's, that's the first thing we must do. We must mute the commercials in our life. We must refuse to look at what we don't have. We, we must refuse to look at what we don't have and say, I must have it because it's new, because it's better, because it's bigger. Contentment is a learned trait. Contentment is, is hard for us. I'm, I'm right there. I, I, there's a set of golf clubs that I wish I could have right now that I can't, I can't like, try to convince my wife, I feel like it's probably not the time to buy it, but Matt Samahal has these clubs. <laughs> and every time I go play golf with Matt, I'm using these clubs, and I love how my ball flight is. It's nice and high, and it lands softly, and I really want them. But before I hit the clubs, I was content with mine. They were fine. I didn't hit them as well, but now I, I really want those clubs, and I probably will eventually buy some used ones on eBay. But we have to fight discontentment. We can't keep comparing. The enemy of contentment is comparison. The enemy of contentment is comparison. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, he says this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned. Contentment is a learned attitude. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? Contentment. That's the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, famous verse. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. We can do it. This is, that's the context of that verse. That, the, the context of verse 13 is contentment. It's not, I can, I can make baskets and I can be a superstar athlete. It's contentment. I can be content because Christ lives in me and he strengthens me. So we have to fight against discontentment. We must mute the commercials in our life. And maybe that actually means Muting the commercials, changing the channel when the commercials come on. That, that means learning to be thankful for what God has given us. Aren't we so blessed? Aren't we so blessed? I mean, I just think there's some, sometimes when I'm driving home, I'm pulling up at my house, and I, I, I look at this house, and I think, Lord, I'm so blessed that I have a house with a roof over it, with air conditioning, with heat in, in the winter, with a natural gas stove that I turn on and it lights on command. And, and, and I have so many gadgets and gizmos that make my life easy. I have hot water to shower with. If you go on a mission trip, you don't have hot water. You come back and you are so grateful for the hot water. We are so blessed. We have to fight. We have to learn to be thankful and to be content. Our culture doesn't want us to be like that. The enemy of our soul, Satan, doesn't want us to be content because he wants us to, to compare ourselves with other people. And, when we, and we, when we get in that trap of comparison, here's what begins to happen. Desires begin to develop. Desires start to develop in our heart. And whereas before we had no desires for other things, but all of a sudden, because we have not shut the door of comparison, we have these desires and we want bigger and better and greater 
And so we have to shut those doors. But when those desires develop, this is what can happen. Let's go back to the text. It's it's in 1 Timothy 6. We read 6 through 8. Let's look at verse 9. After we talked about contentment and comparison, here's what happens if you don't shut the door to comparison. It says, but those who desire to be rich, what, what, what happens? We fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, Paul is specifically talking about in, ending up in hell and sins that, 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 that if you live a sinful lifestyle and a pattern, you, you can end up ruining your life and ending up in eternity in hell. But I also believe in the context of, of money and finances, I think there's a truth here for us that if we do not stop the comparisons in our life and we don't learn to be content, then desires can be developed in our heart and those desires can lead us into, into temptation to do things with our finances that we would have never done otherwise. And so this is my second point. First one is this. We've got to mute the commercials. Secondly, we have to close our wallets. you got to close your wallet. If you have been taking these messages and if you've been looking at your neighbor and coveting your neighbor's things, if you have been looking on TV and seeing things that you wish you had and you are not learning and cultivating contentment in your life and you're having these desires, the temptation is going to be for you to open your wallet, for you to spend things that you don't have. Greedy, materialistic people can be impulsive. Their unchecked desires can lead to opening their wallets when wisdom would tell them otherwise. If you become greedy and discontent, it's all of a sudden just just like you just want to reach and you want to spend and you want to buy. It's kind of like going to Walmart when you're hungry. You're going to Walmart when you're hungry? It's the worst time to go shopping at Walmart when you're hungry. You have a list, right, when you go to Walmart? And you can just get these things. But you're hungry and you go in there. And you're not content to just get these things. And these desires start welling up in you. And and you see that bride's cake ice cream (laughs) that I have not found yet because you keep buying it, Pastor Freddie. (laughs) Pastor Freddie and and Nadine came over to our house. What, what, What day was that? Tuesday? Tuesday? And they're telling us about this amazing ice cream that they're eating. You've got to get Bluebell bride's cake ice cream. And I'm sure that y'all got off the St. Charles Rouses. I, I went the next day to get it, and they had taken it all. <laughs> they had gotten all the bride's cake ice cream. And I, I, I was desirous. I was jealous of the bride's cake. I wanted to know what it tastes like. Is it good? Who, who's had the bride's cake? Look, that is amazing. <laughs> Look at all these people eating bride's cake ice cream. Unbelievable. Y'all all took my ice cream. But you go into the store and you're content to just get your list, but you're hungry. And so what do you, there's this temptation. You get this snack and you get this item and you get that item. You know, Walmart has, I'm, I'm praying that the Walmart and Martin Luther King will have the pickup system soon. Where you can order online all of your stuff that you need and you pull up. You never have to get out of your car and they load it in the car and you take off. It would be amazing. We would, it would help our budget. It'd help our budget. But you got to close your wallet. You can't. You cannot give in to the, to the desire to be compulsive, impulsive. So I, I want to give you four practical, five practical principles that will help close our wallets when we're tempted by these desires to spend money we shouldn't spend. The first one is this. Remember that your money, and I have that in quotes, your money belongs to God. 
That's the first thing you must remember when you're tempted to buy something that you just, you're looking and you're comparing. You want that new phone, that new car, that new boat. Your money is not your money. It's God's money. You are a steward. That's what God calls us. We are stewarding his finances. The second thing is that we should manage God's money with a budget. Manage God's money with a budget. This, this is a challenge. You know, Estelle and I, we do a lot of premarriage counseling throughout the years. And we'll have couples that will come in and they're getting ready to get married. And we'll ask them how they handle their finances. And we'll start talking about a budget. And, and we, were, we have been surprised throughout the years. The couples who don't even, don't even know what a budget is. Don't even know how to budget. Don't know how to organize their finances in a very systematic way that will help them put their money where it needs where it needs to go. I mean, I remember, I can't judge because I was the same way uh, before I was married. My wife was the budgeter. I was the free spender and uh, just somebody who I paid my bills and whatever was left, que sera, And I remember our first argument on our honeymoon on the way back from um, Tennessee. We're on the way back. We're getting close to New Orleans, coming close to Homa, and she brought up the budget. And all of a sudden, I could feel the oxygen being sucked out of my lungs, and I was becoming tense, and I just, I felt just so boxed in, claustrophobic, like I felt like I was not going to be able to spend anything, and, and that was our first argument, was over money, was over a budget. You have to learn to budget, and it has been freeing for us. We know where everything is going, so if you don't have a budget, get with somebody that can help you make a budget. Manage God's money with a budget. Thirdly, don't make large, large purchases in isolation, right? You're tempted. You have these desires. You're discontent with what you have. You see what you don't have. And, and your temptation is to make a purchase without letting anybody know because you know that if you ask for permission, it's going to be no, right? And this can be for ladies and this can be for men. We always pick on the ladies. So ladies, I'm not going to pick on you. Men, it's just, we're just as guilty, we, we can buy things on impulse, and we feel like if we, if we ask our wife, they're going to say no, so it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And that's the lie. That's the lie that we believe, and it's not true. Don't make large purchases in isolation. Fourthly, avoid high-interest, quick-cash loans. Amen? I don't have to say too much about that. Just leave it alone. I get these phone calls like you get phone calls. Hey, Mr. Buffkin, do you need some cash today? And I you know I'm, I'm fine. I have all the cash that I need. He said, well, if you ever need some cash, you, you know, he, they, they give me their address and their number. I right, well, thank you for calling. You got to avoid those. It, it is a trap. Lastly, live a lifestyle of being accountable with your finances. Live a lifestyle of being accountable. And so me and my wife, and, and the best person if you're married to be accountable to is your spouse. Set some parameters in your marriage that will protect you from impulsive spending, that will protect you from, from your discontentment and those desires to buy what you can't afford. Be accountable to your wife. And so look, when I, when I shop with my debit card, my wife knows. I know I can't hide it. She knows the $6 purchase for Taco Bell. She knows the, the, the $5 purchase for Starbucks. She knows, and she'll come and ask me. And sometimes I can revert back to my honeymoon days, and I feel the oxygen leaving me, and I feel claustrophobic, and I get defensive. You guys ever felt that? Get defensive? Why are you questioning me? It's just $5. And sometimes, sometimes it's not easy. It's not comfortable. But that accountability is what we need because we can't trust ourselves. 
We can't trust ourselves to do what we always should do. So we have to close, learn to be content, learn to squash those desires by setting up parameters in our life that will help us to not overspend. Ungodly desires left unchecked can lead to idolatrous love. Comparison, desire, and love. Comparison, desire, and then love. And this is the flow in the text. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10. We started with contentment. We went to desire, and now it's full-blown love. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money. You know, money's not evil. Money is good. Money is a tool. We use money to provide for our families, to pay our bills, to send our kids to college. We use money to fund gospel, gospel proclamation. Money is a tool that, can, that is used and is needed to live life. But it's the love of money. It's, the, it's that process, comparison, discontentment, desire, temptation. And all of a sudden you are ruled by a love of things and possessions and status, and image. Love is a heart issue. Love is a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If there's anything you do in your life, you have to guard your heart, because your heart Your desires, that is the seat, the very foundation of who we are as individuals. What we love, what we love is who we we will become. What we love is what we will do. We have to guard our heart. We have to protect our heart from the lies of this culture. Not just in the issue of money and possessions and things, but in every other issue. We have to protect our heart above all else. Above all else. It is the primary issue priority in our life, to guard the messages that we hear coming into our mind. You know, that's where it starts. It starts, it starts with the eyes and the ears. What are you listening to? What are you watching? And if you're not careful with what you watch, and you're not careful with what you listen to, with who you listen to, then what can happen is, is that your heart can, be, can, can begin to be a place that you're open to, to things that are ungodly. Things that you think, I would never take part in doing that. I would never take part in being a part of a, a, a group of people like that. I would never go to that party. I would never go to that place. I would never compromise in that way. But it's like a slow fade. It's like a steady drip. Slow and it's steady. But over time, what, what does water do to metal over a long period of time? It rusts it if it's not rust proof. Just a steady, slow drip and it decays it, and it brings rust. And that's what happens if we don't close our heart to ungodly things. It can be a slow, steady drip in our life that will, that, that will eat away from our convictions and our standards. We must guard our hearts continually as we are bombarded with never-ending messages from our culture that lie to us about what matters most. We have to guard our hearts So what are some practical ways that we can guard our hearts? Just like I gave you practical ways in which you can close your wallet and and save your money. There's four things here. Number one, make the word of God a priority in your life. You want to guard your heart? Make the word of God a priority in your life. Not not just on Sunday mornings. Though this is very important to hear God's word taught 
from the pulpit. This is one of the main ways in which God uses his word to mature us. But I believe even more importantly than that, what you do with the word of God from Monday to Saturday is just as important. That you are in the word of God. Make it a priority. And you can do it in many different ways. You can open an actual copy of the Bible and you can read it. Or you can take your smartphone and you can have the YouVersion Bible app or other Bible apps and you can listen to God's word while you're driving, while you're exercising and, and jogging. You can make the word of God something you go to every single day in your life. That's going to guard your heart. It's going to guard, it's going to protect you. And what, what is the word of God? If you would sub it down to its basic core, it's truth. It's truth. It is, div- it is a divine revelation of truth. And so the culture is full of lies. So the primary way to protect our heart from lies is to inundate our mind with truth. Secondly, sit under biblically-based preaching. Sit under biblically-based preaching. Now you think, well, isn't all preaching biblically-based? No. No. So some of those YouTube preachers that you're listening to, some of your favorite little preachers that you like to listen to, look, if they're not taking the Bible and they're not explaining the Bible and teaching the Bible and showing you how to live from the Bible and they're just giving you some kind of self-help way to have a better life, get, get a Bible teacher. Listen to somebody who's going to ex- teach the Bible. This is the source of truth. This is the authority with which we stand on. It's God's word. It's not my idea. This is the authority. If I'm, if I, as a pastor, if I'm going to stand on anything, if, if I'm going to have any foundation to stand on to deliver a, a truth to you, it's going to be the foundation of ultimate truth. So when I tell you this is how you should live, and you say, says who? I say, says God. I don't say my experience or or I've tried it and it works for me. No, no. God Almighty says this in his word. And so this is how I need to live. So sit under biblically based preaching. Thirdly, be in relationships with godly people who will tell you the truth. Who will speak to you and tell you this is not a good direction. I know the boat looks really good. And you will catch lots of fish in that nice shiny new boat. But I'm telling you, it's probably not a good idea. I know that cute little girl, she looks so good and you want to be with her, but I'm telling you, she doesn't love the Lord. I've looked at the pattern of her life. She's not godly. Stay away from her or vice versa. You need somebody that can look at you and they love you enough to not lie to you, to speak truth to you. That protects your heart. It protects you. We need that. Sometimes it hurts when somebody tells you the truth and and, and you push them away and you say, you know what? I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then you do what you want to do, and you realize they were right. And what happens is that your love for them deepens, and you realize they really cared for me. And you know what you need to do? You need to go back and apologize. You need to go find them. Some of you have experienced that. I'm talking to to somebody. Some of you have experienced that. Somebody warned you to not go this route, not go that path, but you did it anyway because you had ungodly desires that you were not checking, and you did it. They warned you. And you experience negative consequences. You need to go back and thank them for loving me enough. Thank you for loving me enough to warn me. Last thing, fourthly, turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. This is the number one way to guard our hearts. Turn off the noise of the culture. That's kind of like muting the commercials. Just turn it off. Some of you, I want to challenge you, step back from social media. Just 
take a pause button. There's so much noise. Step back from the nightly news. Step back. Don't, you just, there's so much garbage and lies. Step back from being inundated with things that are of this world. I, I, I get so, you know, I don't want to tell people how to live their life in every minute detail of their life. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm just, I just want you, I want you to hear my heart. Guard the movies that you watch. Guard what you, guard what you allow your eyes to see. Because it, we, we don't think it's a big deal when we're in the middle of it. But what's happening is, is that we are slowly allowing our heart to be soft toward, towards those things that are not godly. You have to turn off the, the noise of this culture. Whoever or whatever has your heart will determine who or what you serve. Whoever or whatever has your heart will determine who or what you serve. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some translations say unrighteous mammon, unrighteous money. You cannot serve God and anything else. God has to be your number one. Anybody else that takes the place of God, anything else that takes the place of God is an idol. It is idolatrous love. You have to kill the idols in your life. You have to kill the idols in our life. Fourthly, the fourth way we see in 1 Timothy 6 that will help us to to overcome greed and materialism is found in 1 Timothy 6. We're going to skip a few verses here and go to 17 through 19. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the fourth thing is this, we must be ready to share. That's the fourth way. We have to mute the commercials. We have to close our wallet. We have to guard our heart. And lastly, we must be ready to be generous, to share, to give. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. As for the rich in this life, tell them not to count on their riches, to trust in their riches, to place hope in their riches, but to be good, to, to, to do good works, and to be generous, and to be ready to share. And so, you know, you look at this verse here, it says, as for the rich in this present age, sometimes, you know, we could think when we, when we, when we read that, well, that's somebody else, right? Because there's somebody else that's always a little more rich than we are. But you know what? I just want to challenge us all with this thought. We are all rich in America, financially. We really are. You go to a third world country, you go on a mission trip, and you see the poverty that they live under. Some of the poorest people in our culture who will walk around with cell phones are a lot more rich than people in in other countries. So I believe this verse is for us. Today, in America, in Western culture, we are rich. So so we're just going to all be rich this morning. And I'm going to tell us as rich people, be generous. Be ready to share. Don't place your hope in temporary things. Life is not about temporary things. 
Life is not about the accumulation of wealth. The Christian life, some of us have, have believed lies that the Christian life is about temporary possessions and, and the accumulation of blessings. Life is not about that. The Christian life is not about that. The Christian life is about the establishment and the forward advancement of God's kingdom through the gospel. That's what Christian life is about. That, that's what life is about. And so all of us who have been blessed so mightily with financial goods, we are called to be generous, to be ready to share, to be ready to devote our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasure into God's kingdom, to see the kingdom advance throughout the world. Generosity is the antidote to self-centered living. Generosity is the antidote to self-centered living. We must hold loosely to the things of this world because they are all temporary. Hold loosely to the things of this world. They're all temporary. Let's look back at verse 19 of, of, Matthew, uh, of 1 Timothy 6. Storing up treasures for the future. He tells us all those rich people. He says, don't count on the earthly possessions and riches. Don't place your hope in it. What does he say to do with it? Stored up for the future. How do we store up treasures for the future? It says this in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talked about this. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where we store up our treasure, in eternity. That means that I have to make a decision in my life. I have to make it. You have to make it. We all have to make it. That life is not about here and now and temporary pleasures and possessions. We have to determine in our heart and in our mind that life is about the kingdom of God. And life is about investing everything that I have into the kingdom, into gospel proclamation, into being a blessing because of what God has done in my life. You have to determine it. And look, you're going to have seasons where, where you're doing well with that. And then you, but then you're going to have seasons where you're in a valley. And, and, and you're really struggling with that area. It's something you have to continually use God's word to fight against that temptation towards self-centeredness. Greed and materialism are destroyed when we take our focus off temporary things. And place our eyes squarely on the treasures that come from kingdom generosity. I'm going to read this quote to you from Pastor Kent Hughes. He says this, One of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen their grasp on our goods. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. We may know some Scrooges, who claim to be Christians. But I don't think you can claim to really know Christ and be a stingy person. The gospel opens our soul and with it, our hands. And that's not just with money. That's with all that we are. The gospel opens our souls and then it opens our life to be used for the gospel. So who, who, who demonstrated ultimate generosity for us? Jesus did then this is where the gospel destroys greed in our life because of Jesus, our example. 
2 Corinthians says this, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What does that mean? It's the gospel message right there in one verse. It means that we, apart from Jesus, are poor, meaning that we have nothing that we can bring to the table, that we can say, God, accept me into your kingdom based upon my merit and my good works. We are poor in spirit, it says in Matthew chapter 6. We have nothing that we can bring to the table that God will say, I will let you into heaven and you can be my adopted child because of what you've done. And it says that Jesus was rich, meaning that he was God. And it says that he became poor. That means that he became a man. And it means that he took upon himself the punishment that we deserved, that was due us because of our sin and our rebellion. And and, and God sent his wrath on the Son of God, on Jesus, on our behalf. And he became poor for us so that by faith in him, we might become rich. We might be saved. It's the richness of salvation that we are born again. We are made new creations in Jesus Christ. And we might be earthly poor. We may not have a lot of money and big houses and a lot of cars and a lot of money in our bank account. But we are rich in God through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And the view of the gospel destroys greed and materialism in our heart. When we see what God has done on our behalf... It, it, it is the natural overflow of our heart to resist the temporary pleasures of this life. And then, and then it's like a natural reaction as a result of that to give our life for eternal things, for the kingdom of God. I want to read, I want to read this. A couple of sections here. It's not going to be up on the screen. I just want you to listen. Colossians 1 it says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Colossians 2, in him you who were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. This is so beautiful. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, and this is the crux right here, if then you've been raised with Christ, here's the natural flow in our life. Seek the things that are above, not below. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. Why? Why? Paul is saying, it's, it's, it's almost like he's trying to make a point. Because this is who you are, because you've been crucified with Christ, the result of that is that, is that your life will be focused on things that are above. Because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
The gospel destroys greed and materialism in our heart. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. God, I, I, I just want to challenge all of us. You know, this is, a, this is not a, an, an easy word to hear, and sometimes I think we can believe that it's really not us. It's really not for us. You know, that we really don't struggle with that. But I just want you to know that I struggle with it. I struggle with it just as much as you do. I struggle with just getting caught up with my life, with my stuff, with my possessions. We all do. And, and, and I think it's times like this that God is faithful to us to remind us from his word that life is not about here and now. Life is not about the houses and the cars and the money and the retirement. Life is more than that. And especially for a believer. If you're a non-believer here tonight, know that and believe that what I'm saying is true. Life is not about your temporary life. It's about Jesus. It's about believing in him and the work he's done for you. That's what it's about. For us as believers, we need to, sometimes it's like we need just a recentering where God takes us and shakes us and reminds us. So I just want to pray for all of us. I pray that God would help us. Just close your eyes. Just lift your hands and surrender. I'm going to lift my hands. We're going to surrender to God. God, I just thank you for this truth of your word that reminds us, God, that life is not about here and now. It's not about the accumulation of wealth and possessions and toys and treasure. Lord, it truly is about you, about Jesus, about what you've done in our heart, by how you've changed us, by how you've made us new. And because of that, Lord, we can, we can begin to live a life for a greater purpose. We can begin to live a life for something bigger than us, bigger than ourselves. And there is no greater cause to live for, no greater thing to aspire to than to glorify the name of Jesus to make his name known, to make him famous in this earth. And God, I pray that as a body of believers that are represented in Living Word Church, God, I pray that 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 would be who we are. God, I pray that that would be the heart cry that we have, is that we would want to be used by you. Well, let that be true. God, you have incredible, incredible things planned for this church. You're going to do incredible things in our future, and we are anticipating We are greatly excited. God, you're going to use us to reach this community for you. And so I pray that you would position our hearts for that. God, I pray for those right now that don't know you, that are here this morning and they don't know you. God, I pray that they would surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray they wouldn't wait another moment, that they would fall on their knees and repent and turn to Christ. Lord, bless your people as they leave today. In Jesus' name, amen.